0: Welcome to this week's sermon audio from Covenant Presbyterian Church of Fort Smith. Covenant is a church devoted to theological depth, intimate relationships, joyous worship, relentless evangelism, and sacrificial service. Coming up, a sermon from our series, Romans, the Gospel for Sinners. Here now is our pastor, Dr. John Clayton.
1: So look with me at Romans, Chapter 14, starting in verse 21. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given to me by God And those who have never heard will understand. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's go to him in prayer. Our God in heaven, we confess that you are source of all light. And by your word, you give light to the soul. We ask this morning that you would pour out upon us a spirit of wisdom and understanding. That being taught by you in Holy Scripture, our hearts and our minds might be open to know the things that pertain to life and holiness. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. As we consider our passage today, I want to look back to something that Paul says to the church in Ephesus. To the Ephesians, he writes, Christ gave the apostles the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. And and while his reference in Ephesians is not a comprehensive list of New Testament offices, Paul reminds us of God's chosen men and God's chosen means of equipping and edifying the Beloved. As they are listed, we may be tempted to think of each one of those offices individually. And while this is typical, it is not always the case. And let me give you an example. It may be argued that Paul occupied each of those offices referenced in Ephesians. As you think about this, I'll give you an example within our own Reformed tradition. Regarding the office of elder, for example, our book of church order says, quote, "...the man who fills this office has in Scripture different titles expressive of his various duties. As he has the oversight of the flock of Christ, he is termed bishop or pastor. As it is his duty to be grave and prudent, an example to the flock, and to govern well in the house and kingdom of Christ... He is termed presbyter or elder. As he expounds the word and by sound doctrine both exhorts and convinces the gainsayer, he is termed teacher. These titles do not indicate different grades of office, but all describe one and the same office. And so an elder, for example, in the Presbyterian Church of America is... Of course, the same word, presbyter, but he's also a bishop, he's also a pastor, and he may also be a teacher depending upon his duties. Similarly, Paul was an apostle. He was called, remember, called personally by the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. But as an apostle, his duties were varied, and they were also expansive, which is what we see in our passage today. Paul the Apostle was also a pastor, concerned for the care, concerned for the condition of the flock. He is, as he refers to it, satisfied. He is proud of the work God has done through him in Rome. Even the miraculous things that God has done through him. But his desire, his heart's desire, we might say, is for the continued growth of Christ's church through Christ. The gospel. He is a pastor who knows well the condition of his flock, and he is one who knows well that there are lost sheep to gather in. The Greek word translated "shepherd" poimen was being used figuratively by the time of the writing of our New Testament. When John quotes Jesus saying, "I am the good shepherd." No one thought that he meant literally a herdsman. We understand that a shepherd is one who has concern and care for a specific people, for a specific flock. As Christ is our shepherd, Christ calls underneath him, under shepherds, to shepherd his church. We are, of course, more familiar with the Latin translation of the word shepherd. Pastor. Pastor is a shepherd. In the semantic wasteland in which we live, many words have lost their specificity, and by virtue of that, their significance. But Scripture gives us both specificity and description, such as our passage today, in which one of Christ's apostles shows us the heart of a pastor. And so I want to begin first with this theme in our passage today, and that is called to ministry. Paul was called to ministry. Although not emphasized enough, if at all, in the modern church, every Christian is called and gifted to ministry. There are no exclusions. As this is from God, we may say that there is no such thing as a secular vocation or a secular calling for a Christian. In fact, most of Christian ministry happens outside the church, in the ordinariness of your life. Regardless of your profession, what God has given you, and how God has given you, has gifted you is For the glory of God, for Christ's sake. All who are in Christ then are called to serve Christ. But not everyone is called to shepherd the sheep. Every Christian has a ministry. But not every Christian is called to be a minister. Specific to his pastoral calling, Paul was uniquely gifted to teach As what we would call, in our Presbyterian doctrine, we would call a teaching elder. By the grace of God, he says in our passage that he is called to be a minister of Christ Jesus. And as God calls a minister, he calls a minister always with specificity. For example, for me, my calling is here. Covenant Presbyterian Church of Fort Smith. But uniquely for Paul, his calling was, as you see in the passage, for the Gentiles. You think about this in the book of Acts. Peter's ministry was different from James' ministry. James' ministry was different from John's ministry. And we begin to see this trickle out all the way to the book of Revelation. But for Paul, he is very specific here. His ministry is broad. It is to the nations. Now, this is not to say that Paul was not called to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. As the Roman church, is very clear in the book that we've been studying, right? There were Jews and Gentiles alike in the church at Rome, and Paul speaks to both, notably in the preceding chapters to where we are today. But his calling by Christ, his calling by Christ was uniquely focused on the lost sheep of the, and that Greek word is ethnos. The lost sheep of the ethnos, and interestingly enough, you'll see this translated two ways. It'll be translated either as Gentiles or translated as nations. Paul was called to a specific ministry to the the Gentiles. That is, go into all nations. And so the breadth of his ministry was wide. In fact, he says here, look at the passage with with me. He says that his ministry is wide from Jerusalem and all the way around, interestingly enough, to Illyricum, which is in the region of of roughly Serbia, Croatia area, all the way around to Illyricum, but his shepherding was personal. You cannot help but read his epistle to the Romans and not think that he understood that local church well. But also, you and I are beneficiaries today of a letter that was first sent to Rome personally. Yes, it addresses specific issues. And yet, here in 2022, think about it, we are benefited from the Word of God that God spoke in and through Paul. We are even, even in this, we learn specific names, we learn the specific things that are happening in the church. But Paul was not a fill-the-stadium evangelist, (laughs) although he did preach to a stadium filled with people, right? But he was one who knew the specific needs of each church, which is why when you read 1 Corinthians and you read Romans, I mean, they're really different, right? specific issues, but very different. And Paul understood those things. And so to describe his ministry by analogy, Paul draws from the office of the Old Testament priest. You see that in the passage. Look at it with me. Just as the priest ministered before God, presenting animal sacrifices on behalf of God's covenant people, Paul, through the, quote, service of the gospel of God, offers up... Gentile converts as sacrifices, so to speak, to God. Now, think about what he is saying here in the analogy that he has given of serving, in the sense, as a priest. Paul is not implying that a sacrifice is significant because of him. It is an act of the sovereign grace of God through the work of the Holy Spirit. To be clear, Paul is is merely a minister. It is God the Father who acted, God the Son who accomplished, God the Holy Spirit who applies. And therefore, such an offering that Paul makes is acceptable to God the Father through Christ the Son by God the Holy Spirit. This is not only a brilliant analogy for us to consider of biblical theology it's also a really healthy way for us to think about pastoral ministry in the church. Despite the presence of Paul's powerful and persuasive personality, he knows that he was merely and nothing more than a doorkeeper in the house of God. May God give our churches pastors like Paul, praying as one Puritan pastor prayed let me learn of Paul whose presence was mean his weakness great his utterance contemptible yet thou didst account him faithful and blessed Lord let me lean on thee as he did and find my ministry thine and so may we also pray the same thing for pastors today According to a study conducted in 2021, 38% of pastors considered quitting full-time ministry in 2021. Another study found pastors suffering from, and I'm going to quote here, an alarming high levels of post-traumatic stress disorder, levels higher than, quote, post-deployment military personnel. Now, I'm going to confess to you, I read that report, I'm going to confess to you that, that personally I, I struggle as a pastor, I struggle a little bit, understanding, I don't dis- disagree with it, perhaps that is the case, but as I consider Paul's pastoral ministry, and as I look at what is testified in scripture, I think about Paul's imprisonments, his severe beatings, his whippings, his shipwrecks. Thieves, travel catastrophes, false testimony made against him, alienation, hunger, thirst, inadequate clothing and shelter. And I'm thinking, man, I've got it good, right? Um, But at the same time, I want to be fair to pastors within the modern era because there, there are unique modern pressures that lead to burnout and that lead to vocational abandonment. Just for example, and this, this, this hits home really close to home. In our own denomination, I, and I obviously won't say this preaching, but, but I will tell you, in our own denomination, I know of three pastors who are in really, really close proximity to this church in the PCA who have resigned their pulpit and left the ministry. We can pontificate on why. And I've got some theories as to why, and you may be too. But I really think the main point is is for us to pray, because I think the reasons are varied. The main thing is is that we should pray for pastors. We for, should pray for pastors in the Presbyterian Church in America, as well as pastors across the land. As some of you may be visiting with us today. You pray for your pastor. Pray for their protection pray for their ministry and pray that God will raise up men with a pastor's heart like Paul. The second thing that I want us to consider in this passage is Paul's ministry was a ministry as he says of word and deed, a ministry of word and deed. And Paul is really careful about how he describes his pastoral ministry. It's not about him. He's not the center of that ministry. He says, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. Those are beautiful words. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. In fact, God used Paul mightily. In fact, in some cases, miraculously and uniquely. But what God accomplished through Paul, he did through the ministry of word and deed. Or you could also translate that expression of speaking and doing specifically as a minister of God. What he spoke meant something because he was a minister of God. What he did meant something because he was a minister of God. Now, of course, there are characteristics, and I need to be clear about this in the age in which we live, there were characteristics of Paul's ministry that just don't carry over to today. For example, Paul was an apostle of Jesus Christ, no longer an office that exists today. Paul worked signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God confirming his apostolic office. And Paul was carried along by the Holy Spirit, as Peter puts it, to convey and complete our New Testament canon of Scripture. And it is complete. These aspects of Paul's ministry, they were unique to the era in which he served, of that apostolic era. But this does not negate the importance of word and deed, speaking and doing ministry in our own day. For example... By virtue of his ministry, Paul says, I am satisfied. Or you could also translate that Greek word, fully convinced. I am satisfied, I'm fully convinced that the church in Rome is full of, and these are beautiful expressions, the church in Rome is full of goodness. It's filled with knowledge. It's faithfully instructing or admonishing one another. Is that not beautiful? Look at the text. That's how he starts out this paragraph. And that doesn't happen by accident. It's not a coincidence. Their goodness, or I prefer to translate that word, their kindness. Their goodness or their kindness does not, of course, imply perfection, but that they are characterized by that virtue as a church, as a whole. But it's not as if Paul or Prisca or Aquila assembled a group of really nice people. I'm going to imagine they were as ornery as you are, and I am. Their goodness, in other words, is not innate, but it is rooted in and flowing from their knowledge of the Christian faith. Their goodness or their kindness is rooted in, it is flowing from their knowledge of the Christian faith. And Paul says that they are filled with all knowledge. Not meaning completion, not meaning perfection, but a comprehensive understanding of the gospel and the Christian faith. And that's my prayer for you. That's our prayer for ourselves, isn't it? We desire to be a church who has a full, a comprehensive understanding of the gospel, a right understanding of the Christian faith. I mean, think about it. If they were perfect, Paul wouldn't have had to write this letter to begin with. Nor were they above reproach, as Paul had particular points that they had forgotten. See, you thought it was just you and me, right? No, they too. One study, I don't remember the statistics, tells uh, how many people can remember a sermon preached on Sunday morning, hours after it's preached. Yeah, it ain't good. I mean, it's really not, not good at, at all. And we try to reinforce that as a church. We post the videos. We have the audios of the sermon. All of my sermons are manuscripted, so you can go back and read them and check references and things of that nature. But look, let's be honest with one another. It's really hard to remember sometimes And Paul knows that. And so what's he doing? He's reminding them. And do you notice the things that he reminds them of? It's not there, is it? He doesn't convey it in this this letter. The things that they had forgotten. But what he does emphasize here is that their knowledge was significant enough that they could do what? The Greek word there, again, I like better translated, admonish. They could admonish one another. It's a beautiful picture of the primacy of the gospel in our relationships with one another. Now there is, of course, a time for pastoral reprimands. And the New Testament is full of them. But they are always specific and they are always personal. Paul has written to them. And he's written to them in his authority and he has written to them boldly. As God has given the minister both authority and to be commanded and obeyed and respected, there are times when the minister needs to tell us things that we don't want to hear, right? Even the most mature and knowledgeable Christian is not beyond instruction and direction when it is rooted in the Word of God. For what did Paul write to Timothy? A real encouragement in his ministry. He said, For all Scripture, not just some, for all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. As in word, so also in deed. For the pastor's vocation is not a cloistered career. Paul was a powerful preacher, But he also had reason, as he says, to be proud. Again, I think better translated to boast. He had reason to boast in his work for God. Or those things that pertain to God. And as he labored for the church, so the Lord used him. And look at this verse with me. How did the Lord use him? Used him to bring the Gentiles to obedience. The Lord used him to bring the Gentiles to obedience through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed is the church whose pastor labors diligently in the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In the modern church, we ask much of our pastors. And many, not just me, many wonder, are we asking too much of our pastors? That which distracts a ministry... A Minister from the ministry of the Word, the administration of the sacraments, and prayer for the people is a detriment to the church. Again, in many cases, we have seen where a corporate mentality or an idea that a pastor is to be all things and all ways to all people is just simply not rooted in Scripture. But the pastor who labors long in the Word faithfully administers the sacraments and prays often and prays specifically for his flock is blessed, but he's also a blessing to the church. And I might add that this is where other shepherds, the ruling elders in the church, are so vital to a church's health, often protecting the minister from himself and from others, A healthy church is a church whose elders actively shepherd the flock. And incidentally, just very personally to us, that's one of the reasons we began the parish ministry that you might have a defined area of church members that you might grow in your relationship with, but also that there would be a ruling elder in that parish and also deacons in that parish, and that we might see the church at a closer level and build relationships with these under-shepherds, the ruling elders and elders of the church. And so Paul's ministry was a ministry of word, but also of deed, to which we, as a church, look to his example. The third and final theme that I want us to look at is Paul's was a great commission ministry. Paul's was a great commission ministry. Paul, in his unique pastoral role, maintained his zeal for the lost. He never loses it. We never see it lost in his writings he says, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been made named. I mean, think about this. Yes, the church in Rome needed his pastoral guidance. They needed his specific input. But the people in Fort Smith, Arkansas, needed the gospel. We are the fulfillment. Think about this. We are the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. Those who have never been told of him will see. Those who have never heard will understand. We have believed a gospel that was advanced around the world. From Jerusalem to Illyricum. to... Where did you first hear the gospel and believe? Where did you first hear the gospel and believe? It is there that the gospel advanced. But Christ's great commission is not yet complete. What he says in our passage today is present tense. And so with the heart of a pastor, Paul includes the Romans. He's now telling them... And by telling them he is including them in his missionary endeavors. Because here's what Paul knows. He knows that a zeal for missions is contagious. Paul also knew that a church that forgets Christ's commission can very quickly translate it into the great suggestion. Sadly, pastors can lead the way in this complacency. And I I think that Richard Lovelace, writing a number of years ago, I think he really gets this right when he says, quote, "...pastors gradually settle down and lose interest in being change agents in the church. An unconscious conspiracy arises between their flesh and that of their congregations." It becomes tacitly understood that the laity will give pastors special honor in the exercise of their gifts if the pastor will agree to leave their congregation's pre-Christian lifestyles undisturbed and do not call for the mobilization of lay gifts for the work of the kingdom. Pastors are permitted to become ministerial superstars. Their pride is fed and their congregations are permitted to remain herds of sheep in which each has cheerfully turned to his own way. Mm. Those are sad words. I pray that they can never be spoken of this church. And Paul wouldn't let them be spoken of regarding Rome. He will have none of it. Instead, He includes them in His passion, you see. He includes them even in His plans, in His missionary endeavors. He is quick to include all of the churches to take the gospel to the Gentiles, to take the gospel into all the world. Blessed is the church whose pastor and congregation are united in completing the Great Commission. May God bless this church with pastors, who are truly called, faithful to word and deed ministry, and zealous for the advancement of the gospel from our neighbor to the nations. And may God bless this church with pastors who, like Paul, who have a heart to shepherd the flock to the glory of God. Let me pray for us. Our gracious God in heaven, by your design you have taken us to this passage today, and you have shown us the heart of a pastor. Not that we may exalt the man, but that we may praise his God. And so as we look to it, so also we as your people, this local congregation, we ask for your blessing upon us. May we indeed have a heart for the nations. May we indeed have an obedience and faithfulness to word and deed ministry. And I pray specifically for the elders of this congregation, that you would bless them, watch over them, and give them a heart to shepherd your flock. We will all pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to this week's sermon. We hope you have grown in your knowledge of and love for God. Covenant Presbyterian is a PCA church that meets for worship on Sunday mornings at 1030 a.m. Our address is 120 North 9th Street in historic downtown Fort Smith, Arkansas. For more information about Covenant, visit our website at www.cpcfs.org.